This is the Contractor's Corner podcast series from Solar Power World. Well, welcome to another edition of Contractor's Corner podcast. I am Solar Power World Editor-in-Chief Kelly Pickerel. And before we get started with today's interview with Primaris Renewable Energy, I thought it would be fun to bring in a fellow Solar Power World editor, Billy Lute, to talk a little bit about representation in the solar industry. So hello, Billy. Hey, Kelly, and hello, everyone. <laughs> so I'm talking with Kent James. Uh, he's VP, senior VP at Primaris Renewable Energy, and he was talking a little bit about employment and how kind of it's a little bit difficult to find certain levels of employees to bring into the company. And I asked if like young people were interested in solar, and he said that he wasn't really seeing that so much, that it was a lot of... Um, skilled tradesmen, you know, coming from other industries like the oil and gas industry might then Mm -hmm. come over to solar. And it just kind of got me thinking about how we're going to get younger generations maybe interested in solar and just seeing it everywhere. And you and I, we're both living in Ohio. We're outside of Cleveland. And I think that our experience with solar is obviously probably wildly different than what the average person sees in California and things like that. So I was wondering, you personally, you've been with us for how many years now? You've been two years on staff? Yeah, like two years and almost two months. Yeah. Oh, so exciting. <laughs> you're, you're here to stay now, I think. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was wondering, what was your experience with solar before coming to Solar Power World? Did, did you see it? Did you know about it? I mean, not really, other than just like what we were taught about it I guess in like science class and stuff like it was always like an elementary school topic that like hey polluting's bad recycling's good renewables are good but we didn't see much of it where I came from which is Youngstown Ohio and Columbiana County Ohio and all that but yeah yeah that's the same when I I first started reporting on solar around 2011 and I remember my only experience with it was seeing the solar panels attached to like roadside signs you know to make sure that their lights can still yeah. work during the, in the dark and stuff and that was it because there wasn't a lot in Ohio and there still really isn't that much in Ohio for us to kind of look at for sure I you were you were telling me the other day that you actually have seen solar kind of nearby where you live yeah so I mean my girlfriend and I just took a walk around our neighborhood and I like to take like walks around the block and stuff and I'd never noticed it before, but just a home like the street over has like a six panel system on their roof where there wasn't before. Even up here is kind of surprising to see. Uh, I mean, we have like big wind turbines, but not much solar. Yeah, yeah. There's, I live on the west side of Cleveland and there's actually two businesses that have huge amounts of solar kind of like near my house. Whenever I see solar, I'm like, what direction am I traveling? Is that facing (laughs) facing south? Is it facing west? Is it getting enough solar generation? Because it is so rare that like, that's kind of what I get excited about when I see it. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So I also wanted to bring up, you recently did this really cool video for the Solar Power World YouTube um, about solar representation in video games. I was wondering if you could you tell me a little bit about that. Like, how did you first get that idea to look into it? I mean, I've been playing games forever. So that's just one of my pastimes. This year, this game that I had been anticipating called um, Animal Crossing New Horizons came out, which is a uh, like a, a kind of like a life simulator. You just like live in a community with a bunch of anthropomorphic animals and you become <laughs> friends with them and stuff like that. But 
one of the features is uh, designing the spaces that you occupy. And one of the options or one of the items in the game was a solar array, just like a, a six or eight panel prefabricated ground mounted array that you could just put outside. <laughs> and I was like, that's odd. There's this cutesy little game and they have like a realistically rendered solar system <laughs> in the game. Yeah. And that's kind of your focus area for Solar Power World is ground mounted <laughs> solar. Yeah. So you were like, wow, this is really like realistic. Yeah. So I chopped down a few trees and just put it in my backyard. <laughs> I don't know if it's actually powering anything, but it's there. That's good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Are there other games that you had played before that you had seen that at all? Yeah, I mean, there there seems to be like affiliation with science fiction and things like that. And um, renewables, people want to associate it with futuristic technologies when it's a very present, viable energy source. But I mean, uh, nothing that's like, wow, there's a high frequency of games that have it up until recently. I played, what was it, Call of Duty, The Last of Us Part Two, Fortnite, like these huge hyper popular games all mm -hmm. have solar present in them. And I thought that was super cool to see because uh, uh, even at a base level, they're just aesthetic or like um, environmental representations. Um, even if they don't have like a practical use, they're still there. Yeah. And is it, was it The Last of Us? Is that what the game is called? Yeah. Those panels, like those rooftop arrays are so realistic. Like, yeah. And they're just like there, right? I mean, it's just you're running across a roof or something and it just happens to be there. Yeah, there's like pursuers behind you chasing you and then you just climb up onto this rooftop and there was a bunch of our, uh, panels just up there. And like they look dilapidated because it's the apocalypse. That's what the <laughs> setting is. But it's still there. And even later in the game, and I wish I had gotten it in, but um, you come across this house, you go into the basement, flip a switch and the character you're playing is like, wow, it's powered by solar. And I was like, dang. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> That is really neat, though. We've we've posted your video, um, you know, across social media and, and up online. And a lot of conversations around it are just about that representation in the industry, that if this stuff was just featured more on things, people would get more used to it, especially like for us, Ohio kids who aren't yeah. maybe seeing that in, in real life, we'd be able to see it in video games. So one person suggested the TV show Modern Family they do the, the the intro of the show the like mm -hmm. the credits it's the shot of the house and if that house just had solar panels on it think of how many people would have seen that and just been like yeah that's normal houses have solar panels on them oh yeah millions of eyes even just on like video games are coming across i don't know solar where they probably wouldn't otherwise growing up in youngstown it was just your typical rust belt community where like Everyone was living in the shadow of like factories, these former major pollutants. It's still like a major like coal community, but then like, I don't know, what, what would have happened if I had my hands on something like uh, Astroneer, the game that was prevalently featured in this um, video that I did, where you actually get to put your hands on solar and place it and power it. The uh, equipment that you're like crafting on this planet to actually like give solar a purpose and not just like be able to oh there's a solar panel powering a light a caution light or something right like that right on the street. so do you think if you would have had that you know earlier in your life you would have foregone journalism <laughs> and went into a solar construction career <laughs> it's hard to say i've never been a fan of manual labor so. <laughs> <laughs> then well you found a perfect job with us at yeah, solar power world <laughs> exactly <laughs> well, thanks, Willie. That was really interesting. And I think that's a perfect segue into our interview today with Primaris Renewable Energy. So stay tuned for our interview.
Well, let's get into today's Contractors Corner interview. Today, I'm talking with Kent James. He is Senior Vice President for Primaris Renewable Energy, a large-scale construction firm based out of Colorado. So nice to talk with you today, Kent. Hi, great to talk to you as well. All right, well, first, tell me a little bit more about Primoris and how solar fits into the company. Sure. So um, Primoris, one of the leading providers of uh, specialty contracting services, um, serving primarily the United States and Canada. Um, a, a great deal of our focus is on the powers uh, utilities industry. Um, our segment here is the renewable energy segment. Um, as mentioned, we are we're located here in Denver. Uh, the Primoris parent company is located in Dallas. Um, we at the, the Renewable Energy Division, we manage the construction of, of utility-scale solar and battery energy storage systems as they are connected to uh, these utility-scale solar plants. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what are the benefits of being part of a public company, and, and how is your solar business affected by that? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that, you know, at the, at the end of the day, these the solar projects are financial transactions. That's what makes them happen. And, you know, being a being a public company gives us a great advantage. One, we have a really strong balance sheet. But, you know, perhaps more importantly, it's a public balance sheet. So we don't have to cross all of the hurdles of, of you know a private company's financials etc cetera, etc cetera. we can just simply you know send over the the sec filings or whatnot um, we can look at credit agency ratings etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, especially given all of the sort of you know european and, and other out of united states money coming in this tends to serve us very well so the investment committees can really wrap their head around exactly who we are, what we are. Um, generally, this means that you know we don't have to put, say, bonds in price place, which gives us somewhat of a a uh, advantage. Um, I, I think also, you know, just being part of a large construction company, there gives us a lot of access to to capital uh, potential for growth, the ability to recruit and attract people, which really are almost the, the number one limiting factor in our business, you know, the, the number of people required to build these utility projects. So, you know, o- overall, I think the, the transparency, the balance sheet, and the, the the ability for people to really understand who we are gives us a, a great advantage in the marketplace. What are you seeing with employment? Is it a lot of younger people wanting to get involved in solar? Is it, is Are there any trends with employment? You know, I, I, it, it's interesting. I think you see a lot of younger people, but, you know, what I think I'm seeing more right now is, you know, at, at the end of the day, Primoris, you know, we grew up, we've, we've really been a, an oil and gas pipeline services company. And so what we're seeing, especially in places like West Texas, is a huge number of what I'd call skilled workers, not, you know, just the the sort of lowest level craft, but skilled people looking to move their career from from something that's a little bit more volatile over into this division. Um, again, I think it's another thing that gives Primora somewhat of an upside. We have, you know, thousands of employees on staff at any one time, and so we're seeing a lot of them wanting to shuffle over. Actually, one of our, our main things is starting to try and recruit from 
industries other than solar to to bring people in here, not only to just get the people, but to to bring in some you know additional perspectives and ways of doing things. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. So what kind of solar projects are you working on? And, and you, you are working kind of all over the country, but do you have like a specific geographic range where you're working? Yeah. So, you know, we really focus as, as of today, really only on the utility scale projects. Um, we look at that as sort of 150 megawatt DC and larger. Um, truthfully, the, the bigger the project, the better Primoris, I think, becomes suited. We're we're built for really big projects in really remote places. Um, we will basically go most places in the country. I mean, we're a we're a client focused business, so to the extent we can, we'll go where our clients you know really want us to go. Um, today, Texas is really where we lead. Not only are we headquartered there, but there's just so much opportunity there, and we've learned how to be successful there. Um, that said, we're also constructing projects in. Uh, Nevada, looking at some in California, Arizona, Louisiana, Colorado. Um, so we'll, we'll we'll go most anywhere a client really wants us to go. But today, I would say that we're most successful and and see a, a very bright future in Texas. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now we're basically almost a year now with with COVID here, and and when COVID first hit. Was your solar business affected at all? I know, like, working on large-scale projects, you can space yourself out pretty well. What kind of things did you have to do to adopt to COVID? Yeah, that's a great question. I don't think any of us knew exactly how to prepare for this uh, back in whenever it started in March, and and maybe even less so now that it's rebounded so much. Um but at the end of the day, we've we've implemented a huge number of of safety practices on our projects, customized plans, specific related protocols with clients. Um, look, at the end of the day, Primoris's tagline on our emails and our credo is that no business objective is so important that it will be pursued at the sacrifice of safety. Um, and I think this year's really proven that. I mean, you're right in the. The, the, the people in the field, with the exception of safety meetings and such, you're right. They're, they're very spread out, and so we haven't had a, a huge impact out there. The the challenge has truthfully been greater in the offices, and, I mean, at, at the end of the day, we here in the office only are here to support those people in the field. That's That's our product, if you will, the people in the field doing things. And so, you know, overall, we've had a really great year. Primoris as a company, as well as the renewables division, um, it's certainly been a, a, a challenge um, in, in working with people. But you know, we've we've done a lot. We've donated a lot of money. We've 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 bought the right PPE. We have very specific protocols in place when positive cases arrive arise. Excuse me and. Um, you know, it's it, it's been a challenge, but generally our business has been not overly negatively impacted by the the current crisis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you guys have been announcing a lot of new solar contracts this year, so yeah, work continues. And, and you mentioned you have a lot of business happening in Texas, but what does your pipeline look like going into the future? Really, we're we're, we're completely client focused, so we. We are pretty well, you know, booked for 21, and, and we're really starting to book business for 22 and 23. I mean, I've been doing solar since I did my first solar project in 2005. I, I've never seen anything quite like this. 
not only has the business matured, but we're really aligning interest with strategic clients over the long term. I mean, over, you know, three gigawatt pipelines where we deploy a team. So our, uh, our pipelines looking very amazing. I think that, you know, we're proving to our customers and industry that we can be relied on and we can, we can navigate through the, the, all the challenges that are out there from, you know, procurement to the COVID stuff, to the getting people. So, uh, right now I've, I've never seen a pipeline quite as robust and, um, high probability, if you will, as we rank it into our CRM systems. So, uh, the future looks very bright, at least through 23. Um, the crystal ball gets a little more cloudy when you get out to 24, but, uh, the foreseeable future is, is amazing. Mm -hmm. Is any energy storage included in these projects? So it's funny you ask that. Pretty much I don't see any projects anymore that don't either have energy storage as part of the the immediate contract or at least some provision in the substation for augmentation later, for example, building an extra bay. Mm. Um, I it, it's the, the battery thing's pretty interesting to me. I mean, all of a sudden you see almost any project on it. But we also have clients who who have not yet wrapped their head around how to finance it, how to do it, and how to really mitigate the risk. It's, uh, you know, the, the battery thing reminds me a lot of what PV looked like back in, uh, you know, whenever it was, 2006, when we'd install it, you know, eight bucks a watt with 140-watt <laughs> modules. <laughs> right. It's, uh, it's kind of the Wild West in it, but I very rarely anymore see a project come across our plate that doesn't have uh, energy storage at least mentioned in it or accounted for later or something of the sort. Is, is that more of your customers kind of thinking about it or are you suggesting things like that? No, it's almost always the customers thinking about it. I think that in the, you know, I'm, I'm hearing from several of our customers that it's it's becoming more and more difficult to finance projects without some sort of a consideration for batteries. Um, that being said, it's so brand new that it changes constantly, and I still think there's a lot of disalignment in what it costs, how to use it, how to work it. Um, you know, on, on the projects we build, you know, the, the battery scope that we take on, the really the construction side of it, it is pretty minor, but I... Uh, I think moving forward, we're going to see batteries on, on all big projects, and, and we're also going to see a lot of the large projects getting retrofitted with batteries to, you know, to basically, you know, fully utilize that interconnect, right? Yeah. More kilowatt hours over more time. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's great to hear that it seems like, like you said, it is like the Wild West, but it's finally picking up steam, it seems like. It is. We're good at managing the Wild West and the solar coaster, you know? We've <laughs> been doing it a long time. <laughs> right. <laughs> Do you feel like there is still a rush to get that larger ITC amount through 2021, or have tax incentives kind of become less important? Well, you know, I think that the ITC and tax incentives are really somewhat of a two-edged sword. I think that, you know, one end... You know, there's a, there's a lot of there's a lot of financial advantage to it. On the other side, it definitely makes deals much more complicated. It brings in a lot of different players into it. 
Um, I, I'm seeing a lot of projects that have safe harbored or have have done other mechanisms to ensure that they capture the full 30 percent. Uh, I'm seeing a bit of a rush for people to safe harbor, you know, the, the incentive for this year. I mean, all of that said, I think that there's such a demand for solar that these things continue to get financed either way, and and the cost keeps coming down, right? So while I would tell you that there's not a finance person out there that wouldn't tell you the ITC is really important and people are rushing to get it, um, I think we're learning more and more and more how to make sure the economics work, whether it's there or not, you know, and as opposed to it being fundamental to a transaction, it starts to look more like upside. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a, it's, it's, it's very interesting. Look, we've had to deal with since, since I've been in this, you know, ITCs and 1603s, they come, they go, you never really know what it's going to be there. And so I think that the finance people have really learned how to, you know, appropriately address it, appropriately, you know, value it into the deal and ensure that, you know, m- most of their projects are able to go, you know, either way. I mean, that being said, though, finance people are always going to make sure they, you know, get as much additional money into a deal as they can. Definitely. With, with the safe harbor stuff, how how is your company like affected by that at all? Like, are you having to hold stuff in a warehouse, like buy it at a certain point? Like, is is it? Is that affecting you at all? No, it doesn't really impact us okay. that much. You know, I, I would say the much bigger impact on the business is the tariffs, right? I mean, mm-hmm. finance finance people like certainty, right? And at the end of the day, right now, you know, maybe it changes, but we, we know what's going to happen with the ITC. You know, you know you're going to get X amount in this year and X amount in next year, and they've dealt, they figured out how to deal with it. The tariffs, on the other hand, that's a much more difficult thing to deal with when, you know, by facials. They either have a tariff or they don't right. have a tariff. I mean, it's, it's on, a, on a 500 megawatt deal, you know, a five cent swing on modules, it, that, that's an enormous amount of money. And so for me, that's really the bigger challenge is the uncertainty relative to tariffs, relative to things like the executive order. And and that, I think, packs, impacts us as the EPC a little bit more because, you know, the, the commodity price is always changing. I mean, you go, you sign a project, you try and mitigate tariff risk within that project as much as you can and sort of either shed or share the risk. But at the end of the day, you know, <laughs> price of something goes up because of a tariff, it, it's a big deal. And then you have all everybody trying to say, oh, well, you know, the tariff steps down in, in February, and therefore, you know, we're not going to start taking modules until February, which really starts to condense schedules. And, and you know, our, our business really isn't based on volume. That's not what's a risk to us. It's velocity that's a risk to an EPC. Um, you know, you you can build a gigawatt project if you have the right amount of time but the more you condense it the more people you get out there the higher the velocity the worse it is and if you can't get equipment because there's a tariff and therefore have to increase your velocity that exposes us to to a way different kind of risk than anything else Mm -hmm. interesting yeah i can see that 
Well, besides the tariffs and uncertainty around that, um, what other trends are you seeing in large-scale solar? How has you know installation evolved over your ten years in the industry? Yeah, I think that's that's a great question. I mean, one, we, we've definitely gotten much better at it. I mean, it's interesting. We work for a large company, and and, and literally, you know, we can take our means and methods down to the number of steps a person takes to to install a module. And while that seems trivial to reduce one step, when you reduce one step across two million modules, it's real money, right? It's it's real efficiency. So. One thing I'm seeing is just these great gains in means and methods, um, efficiency, the ability to build these, the fact that we've built enough of them and so we know what to look for. We're, we're, we're much more robust in the planning phase. And so all of those things have really gone to, to changing the velocity. I mean, I, I say it all the time. You know, it, it took me whatever, nine years in the solar business of doing very well to build as many megawatts as we build in, you know, a day or a week now. Mm. Because, you know, at the end of the day, these big utilities, it's just, it's just an outdoor assembly line. And we've really built that. Now, larger modules have impacted that, you know, more better, better thought out ways to install tracker and all that have all increased that efficiency. What's brought it back down on the other side is, you know, we no longer go build these big giant squares on perfectly fat, you know, ag land or something like that. The projects are almost always, you know, challenging terrain, challenging subsurface conditions, um, irregular shapes, uh, very long, you know, stretched out projects, again, as opposed to one, you know, big square. Because, you know, at the end of the day, logistics, I mean, you got to think if you have you have 300 people on a site and you have to get half of them, you know, at 10 miles an hour, four miles away, you can really start to think how that in, has an incredible impact on how efficient you can be. I mean, you know, we call them the ghost hours, right? The hours that it takes from the time a person shows up, goes through a safety briefing, and then actually gets to the place where they're performing work. So, you know, the, the means and methods have, have gotten crazy. The, 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 the equipment, the way it's delivered has all gotten much better. Um, I think you can all see that and how much the price has dropped over the last, you know, 10 years and much more so over the last couple years. But again, the, the challenging sites have somewhat mitigated that and the, the, the technology people are always trying to catch up and get out in front of that. So it's, a, it's an always changing and ever dynamic situation. <laughs> Yeah. Um, what other improvements could make, or what improvements could be made to the solar industry that could make all of your jobs a little bit easier? I mean, again, I think you'd go back to the to to what I said before. You know, the, the huge advantage solar has is is that the fuel source, the thing that drives it, is pretty well known, right? I mean, it's, again, I say to people all the time, if the sun's not shining, IRR is not your problem. <laughs> But you know, finance everybody. We all like we like we like certainty. We like to know, you, you know, what's going to happen with these regulations. What's going to happen with tariffs? What's going to happen with, with all these things? And solar, as it's matured, you know, sort of, it was a teenager last year. Now we're kind of getting into be a young adult. The the business is maturing a lot, but it also brings in a, a different level of of investor, a different level of 
business professional who even more wants certainty, right? I mean, like I said before, back in 2010, it was the Wild West, right? I mean, modules would go half price. It was crazy, but we want we want certainty. It doesn't really, I mean, it matters what things cost, but I'd, I'd rather know what something costs and pay more than having to constantly be, you know, mitigating risk based on these fluctuations in in things that are completely out of our control. We uh, we like to say that you know we we really deliver certainty of outcome, and the 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 less certainty there is in things that are out of our control makes it more difficult to live up to that that standard and that value proposition. Yeah, yeah. What are some immediate plans for Primaris, and, and what are you hoping to accomplish in the next few years? Yeah, that's that's another great question. I mean, at, at the end of the day, we've, we are, we are 100% focused on our people, on making sure that they're safe, on making sure that they have visibility to move up and continue to grow. We see the, the marketplace continuing to grow and having those people, those skilled positions, those supervisors, those site managers, those superintendents that have come up through the field and really know what they're doing. So I would say that our our ability to, to facilitate advancement, our ability to, to make sure our people are happy, most importantly that they're safe, that this is a place they want to be, is really our focus. Cause you know, I think that, that always you'll be able to ramp up to get wire and you'll be able to ramp up to get this and you'll be able to ramp up to get that. But none of those things matter if you don't have the people out in the field that are able to go install it. And importantly, sort of that younger generation that they're learning how all of this works because the, the limiting factor is not the craft or any of those. The limiting factor is the more the supervisors, the superintendents those people that manage crews. And so our real focus is ensuring, you know, we look at the world as the, as the number of teams we can put out there, which is the amount of product we can put into the world. And we need to continue to feed that machine so we have competent teams moving into the future at those, again, at those higher level foreman, superintendent, project manager levels. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, I'll be watching for sure. And yeah, thanks. Thanks for talking to me today, Ken. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And thanks for everything you guys do to, to support the business. I think that the role you play is, is incredibly important to uh, make sure the word gets out and, and let us all share and, and you know be knowledgeable about information out there. So thank you for what you guys do, and I appreciate the opportunity. This has been another edition of Contractors Corner. Join us each month as editor Kelly Pickerel chats with solar installers across the country. Thanks for listening to the Solar Power World podcast. Visit us online to hear more great podcasts, view industry videos, and read our great editorial content. SolarPowerWorldOnline.com. See you back here next month.